When I was a student at Fred Hardeman a hundred years ago, they used to ask us preacher boys to come and speak at the at the college church, and that would be the biggest audience that we'd ever spoken to. And one of my one of my classmates, he was a good good guy, but he he memorized a sermon just to, to use when he got his time to speak. And in the in the sermon, the guy thanked folks for all those that were sitting up in the balcony. The trouble was there was not any balcony in that building. When he, so he memorized the sermon, but he, he didn't really realize his audience. So I'd like to thank all those in the in balcony this morning that came to our class. And we'll, we're expecting a lot of uh, folks that are just now getting up and getting here. So I, I appreciate y'all being here today. It is my honor to, to be a part of World Christian. I've been president now a year and four months. And it's been an honor to be uh, to be in that role and get to work with these guys that's here and other folks back in Franklin, Tennessee. The class that we wanted to do today is how do you create an atmosphere in your local church for global missions? And since it's just us folks, and I want, I want to encourage you to make comments throughout the class and ask questions, and let's make this more of a discussion type time, and we can learn some things from your congregations and from your experience that uh, will be beneficial for all of us. This is being taped, so there'll be many others that will enjoy the things that we'll talk about in our class time but i for sure do welcome your input during our time together great commission spirit what does that mean to you and when i ask the question and pause it's your turn do you understand that i just ask you a question and and and, and it's your turn to talk what does a great great commission spirit mean you need to fulfill what jesus asked of his immediate disciples mm -hmm. that as they were going through their lives that they would go everywhere they went throughout the world they would be uh, preaching and teaching mm -hmm. making disciples of mm -hmm. all nations. what keeps our local church from being globally minded give me two or three ideas narrow vision narrow vision give me a couple more belly button focus i'm sorry belly button focus Belly button focus. Give me one more. <laughs> Lack of love. Lack of love, maybe. The, it, it can't be commanded. You can't command a church to be global-minded. You can't get up and, as, an, as an elder or as a preacher or a church leader and say, okay, we will now become a, a global church. It can't be commanded. It's nothing but, but it's nothing that happens without some effort. You, you can't demand it. But it's not just something that's going to naturally happen. And I think that's important for us to understand. A third thing to understand is it's not going to come by just taking a class. When you leave this class today, you're not going to have the keys that you can go back to your local church and it becomes an automatic global church. It can't come from a class. There's got to, there's got to be more to it than that. And it doesn't come from copying a plan. What works in Wichita might not work in Montana. Why? Different audience. Very different culture. Very different culture. Uh, David was given, you know, remember Saul's armor to wear into battle, and it just didn't fit. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to being a global church. It's, it, you can't demand it. You can't learn it in a class. It doesn't come natural, and it doesn't come from from uh, uh, from a, a particular plan that maybe work in another place. But the call to have a great commission spirit has already been given. The great commission, Jesus said what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every ethna, every slice of humanity. So the call, the command, the instruction of having a great commission spirit has already been given. 
Jesus, when He left the earth, gave us that, that particular principle to be a globally-minded church. I don't know how many folks attend church where you are a member. The Bible nowhere tells us to be a large church or a small church. It does tell us, though, to be a global church. And that's the importance of our class time together today in trying to develop a global spirit within our congregation. I'd like to recommend that it starts and comes from the leadership. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean an elder. That doesn't necessarily mean the preacher. But there are leaders in congregations that might not wear a title that can be the ones to really to begin that global-minded spirit. Greer disagree with that. Grassroots. It's got to come from those who are the leaders. And a leader, a leader doesn't necessarily have a title, but a leader is someone who's got that mindset and is able to communicate that and get others excited about that, that particular thing. It all starts from the leadership. If you brought a Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter number 1. And I want you to see as the church is getting started in just a short period of time, in Acts chapter number 1, you read about leadership really take into focus. Of course, this is right when Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. Either on your in your Bibles or on your unspiritual iPads or iPhones, I'd like you to read. Somebody take off for me. Mark, would you read for me verse number 4? And let's read verse number 4. 4 through 8, if you would. My unspiritual phone is slow. Okay. Um, <laughs> say again what I need to read. Acts 1, verse 4 through 8. Okay, 4 through 8. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He gave them a picture. He gave them an idea. He gave them a focus of how he wanted his church to, 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 to be focused and to, and to think of it. It came from Jesus and it came through the apostles. Look at this passage in Matthew chapter 28. And in verse number 8 beginning, Matthew chapter 28 verse number 8, And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them. Jesus met them saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren that they, that they should go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Again, my point is, it comes from leadership. And it all got started in the mind of Jesus. And Jesus is passing it on to these disciples as this whole thing begins. You might, if you're taking notes or, or to remember, John chapter number 1 also gives you a focus when Jesus called those first disciples about having that worldwide emphasis. But my question comes, where do leaders get it? Leaders are born with it, aren't they? Leaders already have it, and the answer is no. So where do leaders get it? Let me suggest two or three things for us at this particular time. Mark chapter number 3, I want you to, to turn in your Bibles or your iPads or iPhones to that passage. Here's, a, here's a, a great, great statement that is made about Jesus. 
and, and about his leadership with the, to the apostles that he chose. Listen to this passage. Mark chapter 3, verse 3. Verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him. I want you to underline that at least in your mind. Why did Jesus call these guys? And they're listed in verse number 16 and 17 and 18. The apostles that He chose, if you go back to verse number 13, especially verse 14, Jesus picked out these guys that He might do what? Spend time with them. And what's the, what's the significance there? What's the point of Jesus spending time with these guys? They would... Yes, yeah. He had something to give to those guys. He gave them a direction. Leadership needs to spend some time with Jesus for them to have this attitude of being global minded. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, he called these guys that he might spend some time with them to pass on to them an attitude and an heart. Where do leaders get it? Where do leaders develop this global-minded attitude? I'd like to recommend for your thinking, it comes by spending time with Jesus. He, he dreamed up this idea. It's His focus. It's His ministry. It's His story. It's His mission. And leaders, to, to be able to pass on to their congregation and lead their local church into being a global-minded church, they've got to spend some time with Jesus. Well, Andy, what does that mean? I wanted, I wanted to, to, for the next five or so minutes, I wanted to do it in such a way that you would remember it. Here's my picture that I'm going to give, be giving you. Let's do it one at a time. To spend some time with Jesus, how do you and I do that? We need to put our head in the book. We need to put our head with the book. Why, what's dangerous about putting your head with the brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you put your head with the brothers and sisters and you ask any religious question, they might give... I get asked sometimes, well, what do the churches of Christ believe about this? And I always answer, it depends on who you ask and when you ask them. If you remember, if, for those, if you heard Randy Harris last night, he talked about the old Randy and the new Randy. Maybe some things that he doesn't even believe anymore or wouldn't say quite like he did a few years ago. Putting your head with the brothers and sisters... What's, why is that dangerous? Give me two or three reasons why that's dangerous to put your head with the brothers and sisters. Well, we're all theologians. Yes, we are. So we all interpret it in the way that our experience and our uh, head mm -hmm. uh, sees fit. You've given one thing, our experiences. Give me three more that impact how we do things. Our experiences. Our brothers and sisters are influenced by culture, and a lot of times that seems to be a bigger influence than the Bible. You're exactly. Give me two more. This way we always did it. Mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. right and did it matter the church that we grew up in? Church. Or the college we attended? Sometimes preacher schools and sometimes colleges, they turn out folks to think a certain way about certain things. So your head needs to be in the book. Your head needs to be in the book. Number two, your eyes need to be on Jesus. Why, what's dangerous about putting your eyes on, on the brothers and sisters? Sometimes? Give me another answer. Here's one I get. If I put my eyes on you, my faith looks pretty good compared to some of you. But then I look at Rex and I go, I'll never have the faith that Rex has and I might get discouraged. I might look at Ed and I go, I will never be able to serve folks like Ed does. 
So the danger of putting your eyes on the brothers and sisters is it might be any, you might get cocky or you might get depressed. So your head's got to be where? In the book. And where's your eyes? Focused on Jesus. There's two or three passages we could talk about. One is in Hebrews. It talks about fixing your eyes on Jesus. So how do you spend some time with Jesus? You put your head in the book. You put your eyes on Jesus. And you busy your hands doing the work that Jesus would do if He was here. If you're taking notes as Mark is, or for, at least in your mind, I want you to think about what, what Mark chapter 4 records about Jesus. You remember Jesus had just come from being baptized, and He goes for 40 days in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The devil knows if he can get Jesus sidetracked from what He came to do, He's got Him. So you remember He took Him up and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world, and He said, if you'll fall down and worship Me, it's yours. Would it have bothered anybody in this room or anybody listening to this tape if Jesus had bowed the knee once to the devil? Would that have bothered you? Rex, would that have bothered you? Why? Why would that have been a big deal? It would have been the ultimate sacrifice. Exactly. Uh, he then took him up and, and, and asked him to turn rocks into bread. Could Jesus have turned the rocks into bread? Sure. Yes. Can you tell me, if, is that a law that he would have broken if he had turned the rocks into bread? There's no law that says don't do that. Would it have, Jesus then said, there's more to this thing than eating. There's more to this work that I'm beginning to do than just the physical side. The last one is one that probably, at least I might be more guilty than the first two. You remember he took him up and he, and he said, if you'll take a jump off the top of the temple, angels will show up and will catch you, and you won't even stump your toe. And for proof, he quoted the Old Testament, quoted a psalm. I'm not sure, I'll use Mark as my example. I'm not sure, I think I know what his attitude is in relationship with his own church, but let's suppose Mark next Sunday morning announced to his church, next Sunday I'm going to get on top of our church building and I'm going to jump. And Gabriel will show up and will catch me in midair and will float me down. You may have some folks that's been trying to get you to jump off the building. I don't know. But let's suppose he made that announcement. And next Sunday came, and he jumped off the top of the building, and Gabriel caught him in midair, showed up and caught him in midair, and floated him down. There's be a little applause maybe, and Mark would say, thank you, thank you. Next Sunday, I'm going to do it backwards. Gabriel's going to show up and catch me in midair. Would there be more folks there next week or fewer folks? More. Why? For a show. Next Sunday comes. He gets on top of the building, jumps off backward. Gabriel shows up, catches him in midair. There's a little bit more applause. Mark says, thank you. Next Sunday, Michael is going to show up, and I'm going to do it blindfolded. Well, who would be there by the next Sunday? CNN would be there the following Sunday. Jesus, if you want to have a big audience, just take a leap off the, the top and, get, and the angels will catch you. you if you want to thrill, if you want to grow a church, if you want to get it bigger, thrill them. What's the danger of that? To keep them coming, what do you have to do? Keep increasing the thrill. Stick your head in the book. Stick your eyes on Jesus. And what about your hands? Right after the temptations, you remember Jesus goes to the synagogue Ask for, for the scroll and he reads Isaiah. And he talks about that he came to, to give good news to the poor. 
to free those that's in prison. I want you to think with me that that passage tells us what Jesus would be doing if he was here today. I'd rather preach to rich folks, better dividends. And yet, who, G, who, did, who heard Jesus gladly? The poor. the poor. Now, are we talking about poor in the pocketbook or poor in spirit? The answer might be both. But people that recognize their need of Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, I think it's verse 13 through 18. I want you to read that and pray about that passage because I think it tells, in fact, I believe it so strongly, I've got it up in my office. In fact, I passed it on to our staff in Franklin. They, many of those have it up in their office that he came to preach good news to the poor, to relieve the oppressed, to, to help those that's bruised. My daughter taught me about what it, the, the, when you get something bruised. She was walking through the house as a college student, and just walking through the house, she rammed her hand into the, the, a door handle and, of course, had a real big bruise. The next Sunday, did she wear short sleeves or long sleeves? Long sleeves. Uh, did she walk with her hand out front or would she kind of done this? And why? Because of the bruise. You and I know a lot of people that have been bruised by life. If Jesus was here today, he would be spending his time with those that's bruised. True or false? Luke chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 shows us what Jesus would be doing if he was here with his hands. What's next? Put your knees on the floor. Bend in prayer. Put your head where? In the book. Where's your eyes? Focused on Jesus. Doing the work with that He'd be doing with our hands and with our knees bent on the floor in prayer. Let's open it back up for your discussion for a second. What part does prayer play in developing a congregation with a worldwide emphasis? What part does prayer play? So you develop a communion relationship with Jesus and a personal relationship mm -hmm. interaction mm -hmm. and I think that guiding people to an intimate relationship with Jesus is key to really making change that's good, give me another idea why spend time in prayer when we're trying to develop a, a global church atmosphere do we have any things to overcome to get there? Do we have any things we need to change in our hearts before we're going to get there? And those things come with spending time in prayer. Put your head where? In the book. Where's your eyes? On Jesus. Not with your brethren. You can get discouraged or cocky. It's your eyes on Jesus. Put your, busy your hands doing the work that Jesus would do if He was here. And with our knees bent on the floor in prayer. And here's our last thing. You keep your feet with the brothers and sisters. As I travel all over the nation and people find out that I live in the Nashville area, they'll say, oh, it must be so great to have all those congregations there. And I say, no, it's really not because if you have a fuss, you know you don't have to fix anything. You don't have to mature. You can just go down the road a mile and start worshiping with somebody else. I want to encourage you to keep your feet with the brothers and sisters. It is so easy to get bent out of shape. Why would it be easy to get bent out of shape as you're developing a worldwide emphasis in a congregation? Is everybody going to share your excitement? Have you ever had this happen the following Sunday after a mission trip to somewhere? And you come back and you're all pumped up and excited. 
you've been with your missionary in Argentina and you come back with great stories and great results. And there's some in the congregation that will re respond how? The Cowboys won last night. The Cowboys won last night, yeah. <laughs> they will not have the same excitement that you do. And it's easy to get down on those folks. I'm going to encourage us not to do that. Because this thing won't happen overnight. This thing takes time. And it's easy for us to get bent out of shape with our brothers and sisters. I'm going to encourage you to keep your feet with your brothers and sisters. Put your head where? In the book. Where's your eyes? Not on people, but on Jesus. What's your hands doing? The same work that Jesus would do. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 4 for that picture of what Jesus would be doing if He was here. Your knees are bent on the floor in prayer. And your feet are with the brothers and sisters. I wanted to do this in such a way you'd remember it. But that's what it means to spend some time with Jesus. I'd like your comments before we leave this slide. Would you suggest something else? Would you add maybe a passage of Scripture that these five things maybe reminded you of? I'm just so happy that on the hands doing the work of Jesus, you use Luke 4 as the, what Jesus was yes, doing. Yes, I think it's a strong passage. I do too. I've had it up in my office for 50 years. Excellent. I think it really gives a great picture of what, Je what Jesus did and what yeah. he would be doing if he was here today. Thank you. How about another comment before we leave this slide? Someone, uh, it's, it's difficult to, to do God's work and not asking for, God, for God's help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the, the work that we have been assured of. Uh, Jesus says, I will be with you mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. the end of the world. Exactly. So without just saying, Lord, I'm out there, uh, keep your promise. Exactly, exactly. Other comments before we leave it? Let me summarize where we've been. We're talking about building a, a local church with a worldwide emphasis and how you do that. We suggested that it starts with leadership. It's got to be leadership down. And that leader might not be an elder or a deacon or even the preacher. It may be someone in the congregation who has great influence and impact because of the great mission heart that they have. So how do leaders get it? They're not born with it. So how do leaders get it? Spending time with Jesus. And here's what I'm suggesting we do to spend some time with Jesus. I think it's a, a picture of that, that you and I can, 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 can use. Let me break it down like this. The only thing I think you can fall into is a ditch. I just went right over some of your heads. But I am saying I want you to fall in love with Jesus. What does it mean to fall in love with Jesus? And how important is that in developing a global mission attitude? Why is it important to fall in love with Jesus? Motivation. Motivation? Give me two others. Prevents us from just being legalistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give me one more. Falling in love with Jesus makes it a hard thing. Yes. 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 Can you be can you have a worldwide emphasis if you're not in love with Jesus? Because of this next point that I'll make with you. I need to fall in love with the message of Jesus. <clears throat> My commitment is not in His message. My commitment is to Jesus. What's the danger in just being committed to the message? What's the danger in just being committed to the message? Essentials? 
if I'm committed to the message, I might become a legalist. If I'm committed just to... My, my commitment is to Jesus. Now, if I'm committed to Jesus, I'm going to be committed to His message. And I'm going to be looking for His heart and for the way that He would re really have us to be. I want to encourage us to fall in love with Jesus, to fall in love with the message of Jesus, and then to fall in love with the people that Jesus loved. Uh, tell me who are the broken people? All of us. All of us. I love Randy's point last yeah. night about we usually separate folks from the good people and the bad people. And the truth is, we're all bad people. I loved his message last night that really emphasized that very point. If I'm going to develop a global-minded church, I've got to fall in love with broken people. And where does that start? With me realizing I'm broken. I don't mean to take away your self-esteem, but if there's any good in us, it's because of Jesus. If there's anything good in us, it's because of Jesus. <clears throat> Let me ask you this question. Are all congregations ready to welcome into their assembly broken people? I see a lot of no's. What makes you think that? Experience. Experience. Yeah. Let's keep talking. Please keep talking. We just kind of put facades around all of us Another thought. Because when you think you are too good, others are not as good as you, mm -hmm. so they don't belong. Mm -hmm. Who do I want sitting on my pew? Huh? People like me. People like me. People who, who we think are like we think we are. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can you say that again? <laughs> People who we think are like we think we are, but we're not like yes. that. Yes. And sometimes we're just scared. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I had a, when I was in a, in a different church, um, and I was the women's minister, and I met with two neighborhood women who lived just within a few blocks of the church, but they were both prostitutes, mm -hmm. but they wanted to find Christ. Mm -hmm. And when I went back to my church, one of my really good <coughs> friends said, I wouldn't want a prostitute sitting on my pew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then what do you say? Mm -hmm. you know? Great, great comment. Other comment, Rex. Reminds me of something that happened several years ago. Armando Valadis, who worked with me for about five years uh, in Hialeah, Miami area. One day he just decides to uh, get himself all dressed up as a street person and just make up every time. And as the people were coming into church, he was keeping tabs on how many people talked to him. And then he finally went, down front at the end of the service and revealed who he was, and he was pleasantly surprised at how many of the members would, mm -hmm. would engage with him and talk with him and mm -hmm. invite him in mm -hmm. and, and all of that. So that was a unique experience, but it, it really emphasizes, you know, where our hearts need to be. Mm -hmm. when, you know, someone just coming out of church and yes. fit our mold, how mm -hmm. we approach that. Mm -hmm. Great comment. Other comments? I had the same experience as a traveling missionary. 
the only person who speaks to me is the preacher, or maybe one elder. Mm -hmm. Not that they were refused to speak to me, but they just like didn't notice you. Or, mm -hmm. I mean, not that I didn't come there to ask for money. Just mm -hmm. we were traveling, it was worship time, we'd stop, mm -hmm. and I was always shocked at how few people actually approached us. Or, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. So we're not we're not maybe trained or sensitive mm -hmm. to reaching out. Why don't we love broken people? Huh? It takes work. It takes work. Huh? They're messy. Mm -hmm. Give me three more. Let, let, let's piggyback on that. Sin is messy. And when you deal with people who's got some, we're all sinners. But there are some folks whose lives are in a mess. And we shouldn't expect sin to get easier. It gets more messy. And that therefore interferes sometimes with us loving broken people. Fear sometimes keeps us from loving broken people. That's why I wanted to talk first about spending time with Jesus, head in the book, eyes on Jesus, hands busy doing the work He would be doing, knees on the floor in prayer, feet with the brothers and sisters, and then as we fall in love with Jesus, that that's, could be contagious. And then you love the message of Jesus. And then you begin to love those that's broken. Um, do we have a lot of broken people wherever you live? Wherever you call your address, are there a lot of broken people around you? I've often thought that we, since we haven't gone to the world with the Gospel, that maybe the Lord has brought the world to us. I don't know how it is where you live. Has your neighborhoods changed? Do they look a little different? I lived in Gallatin, Tennessee a few years ago, and I could stand on my front porch and look at four different doors where they spoke four different languages. That's true in many, many places. Not being critical, that's just the way that it is. And since I didn't go to where those folks used to live, maybe they came to my neighborhood. Maybe the Lord brought them to my neighborhood. I gotta fall in love with broken people. And that's easy to do, isn't it? No. And it's, it happens quickly, right? The answer is no. That's why it's important to put your knees on the floor in prayer and remember to keep your feet with the brothers and sisters because it's gonna take a while. I'm gonna encourage you to fall in love with Jesus and to fall in love with the message of Jesus and fall in love with broken people. I didn't mean to take you that far, let's go there. And I want to encourage you to take a trip across the street and just see what's in your community and what you can do. Every community is just alike, isn't it? No, they're all different. When I preached in Danville, Kentucky, 100 years ago, there were three housing projects in Danville. Danville's a city of about 25, 30,000 people. There were three housing projects. Two of them had buildings. And I got permission, I even got a key to those buildings and I got permission to have a Bible class in those places. I would go there every week for a Bible class in a building that the government provided. Free. Well, there was one of the three that didn't have a building. But they had a big old shade tree right in the middle of their complex. I went door to door and invited people to come. Went and sit under the shade tree. And about five minutes before the time I had mentioned we were going to start, I got looking around at the various houses around, and I saw blinds being, they were just looking out to the shade tree, and, and they started trickling in. So I had about 25 that would meet under the shade tree. It's almost biblical to do it that way. It's almost biblical. 
To become a global-minded church, I would encourage congregations take a trip across the street. Uh, I saw the minister for the Southside Church of Christ in Fort Worth, Texas last night. Steve. Steve. They looked at their community and they noticed that it was changing. And they made a decision a few years ago to stay and not move out to the suburbs. And right across the street was a halfway house for women. So guess what they decided to do? Minister to those ladies. They have, an, they have a great, great ministry going on almost in downtown Fort Worth because they took a trip across the street and saw what was there and made a commitment to what is there. If you're a church leader, I would encourage you to think about taking a trip across the street. I know of two or three brothers that, that go to an intersection that's a busy, busy intersection with a, one of those cases of bottled water. They just hand out water. Guess what they're doing? That's probably one of the things that Jesus would do if he was here. He's making contact with people. I want to encourage you to start by taking a trip across the street and see what's in your community. Help me develop this point. What would we find if we looked in our communities? You'd find some housing projects. Give me five more things you'd find. You'd find people that you don't realize what's going on in their lives mm -hmm. until you do cross the street. Mm -hmm. And then you, they need to be ministered to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, they need Jesus. Maybe they're on the verge of divorce. Maybe mm -hmm. they're you know, having mm -hmm. um, trauma with their children. Mm -hmm. You know, there's many times that you can find within many cultures. Exactly. <laughs> you tell where I saw that real clear one. Now, I was at, I was in the Dallas Fort Worth airport about to catch a plane, and I was sitting and eating a Subway sandwich, and I looked over and there was a young man in fatigue, so I knew he was part of the army. After I got through my eating my sandwich, I walked over and I said, "Thank you for." For what you do for serving our country. I said, where are you headed? And I wasn't ready for his answer. He said, I'm going to Baghdad. I thought he was going to some, you know, good place in the world, maybe for training, or maybe going home. I wasn't ready for his answer. And as I walked away, I thought, there's a lot of folks, in your point that you just made, there's a lot of folks going to their own Baghdad who need someone to with the heart of Jesus to share with. One of the best places to get forgotten about is a prison. Edit, talk a couple of minutes about what you do in your, in your congregation with the prison ministry. Uh, I work with uh, men and women in the, in the prison. Uh, I work with a, it's a hardcore group in the prison, those that cause so much trouble, and they lock them up. They don't have visitors, they're not supposed to shave. And they will lock you up. I mean, in there with them to teach them because they're not allowed to get out. The most scary place to be on earth. Mm -hmm. But very receptive people, and they will almost cry and say, "Thank you. Nobody has been here for six yeah. months. Yeah. We have not seen a human being for six months. Wow. Thank you so much." Um, then, uh, but I just uh, baptized five before we, we came here, and. One of the ladies, you wouldn't believe this, is pregnant. Pregnant in the prison. Mm -hmm. She's been uh, two months pregnant. One of the five that I baptized. And, you know, she's telling me what she had to go through. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big things that I have encountered was one time I baptized a young man, he's 19 years old, and he said, I need to get my father to come and watch. And I said, you could have told me to get permission, because I usually can get permission for the family to come and watch the baptizing uh, process. And uh, he said, no, my dad is here. Yeah. And uh, I said, your dad? He said, yeah. He said, my grandpa is here too. So they went in and they brought the grandfather and the father. First time in my entire life seeing three generations in the in same prison. Wow. prison. Wow. Prison is a good place to be forgotten about. Can you name me two other places in your communities it's easy to get forgotten about? How about nursing homes? Again, when I preached in Danville, there were two nursing homes. And they let me come in and study with them the book of Acts. <laughs> it was amazing how so many of them just wanted to be New Testament Christians. And I probably had about 25 at both places. A nursing home is also a good place to be forgotten. Can you name me another place in your community where it's easy to be forgotten? How about a hospital? How about if you adopted a floor? How about if you adopted a wing? And that was on the congregation's prayer list. And maybe you took a little basket of goodies, of knickknacks, to the emergency room waiting room for families that were waiting there. Adopting a wing, adopting a floor, depending on the size of your church, adopt the hospital might be found as you took a trip across the street. Take a trip across the street and see what's there and what you can do. What in the world would, would breathing a little salt water or and taking in some salt water or getting on a plane going across, you know, we've got, we got to take across the state first. I'll get, we'll get to the ocean. What will I learn by taking a trip across Florida? What would I do? What would I learn taking a trip across Kansas? What would I see? You would see multicultural. <laughs> Everything, there's not a tree to spoil your view anyway. What would I see? I might find cities where there's not a New Testament church. As I traveled across the state, there are some places where the church is not. We're not the Bible Belt. Right? <laughs> How far do you have to go? I'm not going to ask Eddie because he goes three blocks for the next congregation. What's the next closest congregation to where, where you live? How about in Montana? What's the next closest? Uh, I'm not a good person to ask. Um, I'm not. I'm actually an import. I'm Canadian. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. The rest of us maybe. How far is the next congregation? Homolu? In your the, the closest congregation to you back home? Um. But taking a trip across the state, you're going to find places that lead to be, at least on a prayer list, places where the church maybe is not. What will I learn about myself by taking a trip across the state? You remember when Paul was, went to Athens, he was waiting on Timothy and, and Silas to join him. You remember what did he do when he got to Athens and was waiting? He became... A tourist and as he walked around town he noticed what all those idols they were sitting on all the flat places 
History tells us that there was a, every flat place there was an idol in the city of Athens. Maybe as many as 10,000 idols. And remember there was one to the God, the unknown God. They were so superstitious they didn't want to upset any particular God. So just in case they missed one, they had one inscribed to the, to the unknown God. Paul in essence stood beside that idol and said, let me tell you about the God that maybe you don't know about in Acts chapter number 17. Taking a trip across the state and maybe doing a few things differently than you would normally do as a tourist might identify four or five places that you start praying about that God would do something in those places where the Lord's church could be planted. And that's going to take a, a week, a month, a year, or longer. But at least you're starting to pray. But what would you find out taking a trip across the state? What would you find? What would you see? And taking a trip across the ocean, how will that help me become more globally minded? How might that help a local church be more globally minded by taking a trip across the oceans? Is it the salt water? Is it the fruit that you don't need to eat? The bottled water that you've got to make sure that... What is it about taking a trip across the ocean would help me and help my local church to be more globally minded? Cultures. What do you mean by that, Gail? Well, <clears throat> people are just so different. They do things different ways. Mm -hmm. And they uh, expect things that we wouldn't expect. Mm -hmm. We expect things that they don't expect. Mm -hmm. Different levels of sanitation and different kinds of food. And just open yourself in every way. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts? Taking a trip across the ocean, well, how's it going to help me and my local church be more globally minded? Of course, that's... Uh, popular thing is the short-term mission trips. Uh, you know, I mean, we go back to when we went across the ocean in the 70s. <laughs> That'd be a whole other story. But I think the short-term mission trips begin to develop a DNA in the congregation that's mission. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I've seen this in a few congregations. The one I'm attending now, uh, where we just moved, it's interesting. Five years ago, they were never mission-minded. But then a fellow who was written maybe 300 scripts for us and recorded, moved there, uh, Latinos, uh, Mario. And he got them to go to Honduras. And so they, every year, go to Honduras and they work with the, with the church there in La Esperanza. And so they're heavily engaged there, but they're also heavily engaged in England, mm -hmm. you know, and in their own community, a very multicultural group of about 90 people mm -hmm. in a country church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. But they have begun to make missions part of the DNA. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, also know other congregations that bring their, their children into where, all right, you're allowed to go with us on this mission trip in town, mm -hmm. in the state. And then as they get older, overseas. Mm -hmm. We're not working on that and developing that, mm -hmm. then they won't have that in the DNA. Exactly, exactly. That it's, a great, it's a great, great picture. I'll go back to FH, Rex, uh, Edit, or all of us. What did you learn when you first went to Cuba? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about when you first went to Brazil? Your first trip over the ocean, I guess. What did you learn? 
Mark, you've been to Argentina. What did that trip do to you? And I like your picture about the DNA. It starts there. What did you learn about yourself when you went across the ocean? I learned to totally depend on God because I, where I went was Papua New Guinea, my first five years in missions overseas. And that, you know, you just have to totally depend. You become totally dependent on God mm -hmm. and dealing with the culture there and everything. You just have to keep your eyes on Jesus, yes. keep your face, you know, your head in the book, as you're saying, because there's so many variables in crossing those cultures. Mm -hmm. But what I also felt was the spirit of Christ growing in me on a daily basis mm -hmm. that helped me yeah, reach out to Yes, people. yes. F.H., continue. Uh, well, when I first went overseas, I wasn't a Christian. I did a year of change to but I learned very quickly that I'm not the center of the universe, and it's a big world out there. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Others, other comments? Yeah. Um, while we're thinking about what we learned, uh, I'm thinking about what I gained from going across the, uh, the ocean. Some of us get into a big shock that God has blessed us so much, and it becomes an imprint in our lives. Every time we think, wow, what I saw in this, they have little or nothing, mm -hmm. and look at me. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it does not only strengthen our faith, but it gives us uh, comfort. So uh, I always think we we'll probably gain more <laughs> from yes. going across the yes. ocean sometimes mm -hmm. than what we give. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll never forget my first trip to Honduras and what I learned about children. From America's perspective, those were poor children. But describe the children. Happy. They didn't know they were poor. Why were they laughing and playing? Because they're children. And children are children are children. No matter what they have in, hanging in their closet or what they have on their table. I'll never forget the impact that that made on me my first trip over the ocean. What to learn. Mark, were you going to share anything? Well, the same thing Ed just said. I mean, when I've been to Mexico or places like that and just see the poverty, you just realize how privileged you are. Mm -hmm. And it just makes you want to, like, quit being so selfish. You mm -hmm. know, quit thinking just about yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Think about all the. And, and others have said that, you know, we, we realize you're not the center of the universe. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people out there that are different than you. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they're. They treat time differently. They everything mm -hmm. is different. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Other comments, or we leave it. What's this class about? Developing a, a mindset of global missions for congregations. How do you do that? It's got to come from the leadership. It comes by spending time with Jesus. How do you spend time with Jesus? You put your head where? In the book. You put your eyes where? On Jesus, not on the brethren. You put your eyes on Jesus. Uh, you busy your hands doing the work He do. That's Luke 4. You're going to spend much time in prayer asking God to really bless us as a church to be global-minded. And you're going to keep your feet with the brothers and sisters. Because it's so easy to get bent out of shape with you, brothers and sisters. We're going to fall in love with Jesus. We're going to fall in love with His message. And finally, hopefully, it's going to dawn on us I'm a part of the broken people gang that I need to love the broken people, the ones that Jesus did. 
And then I might need to get out of my front door and go across the street. And I might be shocked what I find just by going across the street in places where people are, where it's easy to be forgotten about. Going across the street, going across the state, being, becoming a tourist with a mission. Not just to tour nice places, but to, you might find places where the church isn't. That it gets on a prayer list. It starts people thinking about places in their own state where the church is not. And then going across and breathing a little salty air, uh, eating a little bad food, crossing the ocean, we've realized so many, many things about our walk with God. I'm, I'm suggesting these things are things, it'll, and, it, and it'll, take, it'll take time and take a while. So what's in your neighborhood? What's in your city? What's in your state? What country would you like to adopt? Probably 20 years ago, I adopted two countries. And I pray about those countries every day. One's Alaska. That's not a country. But I adopted Alaska. I adopted Madagascar. What happens when you adopt a country? What's happened since you've adopted Cuba? Well, uh, a lot. A lot. Went from no training program there at all to preacher training to a couple of weeks ago being with 250 preachers that came from all over the country, you know, over the last 18, 19 years. Mm -hmm. so, what did he do to Rex? I uh, just, I mean, when the first trip I took in 2001, happened to be there on my birthday, and, and these folks were so poor, they had nothing. They put on a birthday party for me while I was there. Humbling, talk about humbling. I mean, in their home, the only way you could flush a toilet was to bring in water. And you're in the middle of the city. It's mm -hmm. not like you're out in the country. Mm -hmm. and, and use a bucket of water. So, I mean, personally, it, it, that family has been my family yeah. for the last almost 20 years. Yeah. If you've He's not the director of the school now. If you've not adopted a country, I would encourage you, you probably adopted Argentina already. What countries would I need to adopt? And just start thinking about and praying about. Here's how I want us to close. Back home, once a, I'll let you decide, preach a lesson on missions. Have a class about missions. And there may be three that would come to the class, but that's a place to start. Back home, have regular mission sermons and mission classes. Every now and then, bring a missionary in. Let him know up front, we don't have enough money to support you, but I want you to come and introduce missions to my people. Bring missionaries and have books and ministry to your church family just to plant some seeds. Mission days or a mission fair, again, gives you an opportunity to plant a seed, to encourage someone to begin thinking about missions and start talking about it and start walking. Here's how I want us to close. Turn to Acts chapter 16. We've got three minutes. And the reason I want you to, to, to look at Acts, at Acts chapter 16 is what happens there, which is the last point that I want to make with you. Follow God's lead when it comes to becoming and developing a global-minded church. I'll take you to Acts chapter number 16 and begin reading with me. 
There he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, and believed, but his father agreed, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, and they knew all his father was agreed. And as they went through the cities, they developed them the decrees for to keep. They were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Let's stop right there. You got one of the best preachers in the brotherhood wanting to go down to a couple of places to preach and the Holy Spirit forbid them to go. Why? Let's keep reading. Anytime you don't understand something in the text, what do you need to do? Keep reading. Let's read a little bit more. At verse 7. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Some of the best preachers in the brotherhood wanted to go to another area. And the Holy Spirit said, Nope. And again I ask, Why? Let's keep reading in the text. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he'd seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Why did God say no twice on the two mission trips they wanted to take? I didn't hear you. Because he had another place he didn't want them to go. Had another place that he wanted them to go. Maybe you don't get into prison in your local church this year. Maybe the Lord wants you to go to another direction. Maybe a certain place you want to go, maybe for some reason it just doesn't work out. The last point I want to make is, is follow God's lead. And I'll ask you the final question. Why would that make sense? To follow God's lead. It's His mission. It's His mission. Give me another answer. Because he knows what the results are going to be. Exactly. He knows where the gospel needs to be taken the most. So across the street, across the state, across the ocean, follow God's lead. That's so important in becoming a global church. Let's pray as we close. Lord, we thank you that you uh, trust us as your people to get your message out to the world. And I pray you will uh, burden our hearts with the souls of lost people and help us realize that we're broken too and that we're in, in desperate need of the mercy that you offer to us and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Open our eyes, open our eyes of our local churches where we attend and I pray you will help us as we go back home and use some of these principles to help our home church become a global church. Father, we have a great message to tell. I pray you will lift up the hands and give refreshment and encouragement to each of us this week that we may um, have our eyes open to the world and those uh, looking for you. Help us not make up their minds for them. Help us to be available with the heart and the mind of Jesus. Thank you for our time together. Bless the rest of this day. We thank you for the blessings that you send to us. Bless our families we're not with this week. And we just thank you so much for being our God and Father. We praise you and lift up your high and holy name above every name. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Thank you all for being here. Thank you.